What's up, fools? This is Nigel McGuinness. This is Nick and Matt Jackson. Hey, this is TJ Perkins. This is Mike Mondo. This is Ring of Honor's Adam Cole. This is the Info Red Titus. This is the king of old school Steve Freno. The ROH Podcast. Or is it ROH Cast? At ROHWorld.com. Stay tuned, wankers. They say they made all podcasts equal. They were wrong. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 81 of the ROH Cast, the internet's best Ring of Honor podcast. My name's Harry, I'm the web designer and co-owner of ROHWorld.com. As always, I'm here with the other co-owner and the editor of the website, here's the podcast missionary, Stephen. Hello everyone. And we're joined by the man who goes by, podcast worst nightmare, John. How's it going? Instead of our usual RH cast format, we have a very special interview lined up for you. We're about to be joined by Caleb Seltzer. Uh, the interview actually happened. We're pre-recording, we're doing this intro afterwards, and uh, it was a very good interview. I definitely enjoyed it, and I think you'll definitely learn a lot about Caleb by listening to it. And I think uh, you might have changed our opinions on him, shall we say, Stephen? Yeah, it was a very uh, detailed interview. Yeah, he learned a lot of uh, new stuff about Caleb, and yeah, I think a lot of people will be changing their minds and giving him a, you know, more of a chance and yeah, it was a very good interview. So, uh, let's get into it. Yeah, here we go. Here's the interview with Caleb Salsa. We hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Stephen and John as always. And this week we're joined by Ring of Honor's newest commentator, Caleb Salsa. Caleb, how you doing? Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you very much for having me on the uh, little podcast here. It's uh, only the second interview I've done since uh, coming aboard Ring of Honor. So I've uh, heard a lot about what's been going on here in ROHworld.com and uh, heard my name brought up a couple of times. And so I figured, okay, people are talking about me. Let's see what's going on. And uh, uh, some some people have been flattering and some people uh, some people haven't been so flattering, but that's okay. I expected it. So uh, before we talk about some of the rumours that have come up recently in uh, the latest developments, we've got uh, a couple of questions from our forum here. Um, Yimyak says, uh, do you remember the first match you ever commentated? I do, I do. Uh, I, I'm still fairly young in my play-by-play career. I've only been doing this since 2010. Uh, but the first uh, match I ever called was in, it was in Massachusetts. It was a, a little town called Pembroke, Mass., and uh, it was with PWF Northeast, which is uh, my home promotion formally. Uh, it was like our version of WrestleMania. It was our biggest show of the year. And at that time, I was only a backstage interviewer for the company. We had a TV deal at the time. And uh, the regular voice of the company, who had never missed a show ever, this was the one night that he missed the show. And I got the call at 2 o'clock before 7 o'clock bell time, and I'm calling the very, my very first show ever at 18 years old. And um, I remember the first match was a fatal four-way match. Uh, four local guys, uh, Latin Braveheart, Ryan Bisbal, who was a great, great competitor from, uh, uh, formerly from IWA Puerto Rico. Uh, he wrestled down there. Um, Alex Payne, sensational Scott Levesque, and I believe there was one other person in there. I think it may have been uh, uh, TJ Richter, who's a very, very, very dear friend of mine here in the Northeast region. So, uh, yeah, that was the very first match I'd ever called, and uh, I still own it on DVD to this day. I, I, I pop it in, that was my first match, and then I look at the match I just called at Ring of Honor on the last TV, and uh, I go, man, in a matter of, a matter of only a couple of years, this is how far I've gone. It's uh, really mind-blowing. 
Um, Yimniak has another question. He, he says, uh, what made you want to get into the wrestling business? Uh, honestly, uh, it's a good question. I have always been into wrestling. I've been wrestling has been a part of my life since I think the day as I could really keep my eyes open and know what was really going on in the world. So infancy, I've been watching wrestling. My father uh, got me into it. Uh, much to the dismay of my mother, she is like every every. My father is my greatest and my worst influence. Everything that uh, he's he's ever done that my mother's told him not to do when it comes to me, he's always done. Uh, so it was always it's always oh don't let him watch wrestling. And my father's like oh come on, he doesn't do any of the things like copy the moves or any of that stuff. And then one night my mother's at work and he's watching me and I'm probably uh, only maybe a year old. Not only I climb. Up on the back of the bed, we had like a banister on my father on the back of my parents' bed, and I, little kid, Caleb, and my father's sleeping, and I probably pointed up to the heavens before I did it, and I gave him the Macho Man elbow off the back of the bed. <laughs> and, so that, and then he was just, oh, and my mother said, yeah, see, see. And then I, my mother tells the story all the time, but my father would let me watch boxing, too. I'm not, I'm not that much of a boxing person now, but, you know, I was a little kid. I was impressionable. My mother said, don't let him watch boxing. Oh, come on. He doesn't know what's going on until I give him a, I give him a right hook <laughs> when I was a little kid. And then, yeah, maybe I shouldn't let him watch it anymore. But, no, wrestling's been a part of my life forever. But uh, uh, fast forward, you know, I'm, about, I'm around 15 years old. At this point in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm not really in that great of a place in my personal life as a kid. I, I, I kind of grew up in a bad uh, neighborhood, um, and that's all I'll really go into on that front. But uh, I was troubled. I was looking for, you know, a place to be, you know, something that I can channel all my energy and my attention to to keep me away from, you know, bad avenues of life that, you know, are certainly out there. And uh, I remember there was I, I saw a poster for a independent show 15 minutes away from my house in Quincy, Massachusetts. And I saw that, okay, it's an indie show. I had never really heard of independent wrestling before. There were a couple of spot shows that had some names on them, and I went to those. And, but I never really knew anything about the culture of independent wrestling and the subculture of professional wrestling. So uh, I went to this little uh, show. It was called New England Champions Wrestling. And uh, they drew a really good house. And I remember looking at their website, saying that they were looking for uh, writers for their website and contributors to the street team, etc. And so uh, this is actually my favorite story. One of them, actually, uh, is how I got in. I remember dressing up to go to an independent wrestling show. I got into a dress, dress pants, dress shirt. And I remember bringing my resume to <laughs> the National Guard Armory in Quincy, Massachusetts. And if anybody knows anything about Boston, Massachusetts, the culture, South Boston, North Boston, it's Quincy, Massachusetts is not considered highbrow. And, and the fans who were there in Quincy, you know, looked like they just came out from, a, you know, like they're about to longshoreman, they just got out of, you know, uh, pulling drywall or something like that at construction sites. So it's a very blue-collar uh, audience that goes to these shows in the Massachusetts area. And so uh, I stuck out like a sore thumb coming to, going to the show dressed up while everybody looks like they just got done, uh, you know, uh, plowing fields. But um, I remember dressing up, and I went to the promoter at the time, and I handed him my information. I asked him, if, you know, if he had a business card, I could contact him. And I'm sure this guy was under the impression, like most most other people in my life when I was growing up, I impressed him in a way that he didn't know that I had just turned 15 a week earlier. 
And so he just assumed that I was 18, 19 at the time, thought, oh, okay, this is a guy that wants to come aboard. And so he gave me his business card, told him to call him Tuesday. I called him Tuesday, and we've talked a few minutes, and he asked me, uh, Caleb, uh, how old are you? Just curious. And I said, sir, I just turned 15 years old a week ago. And there was literally like a dead silence on the phone for 10 seconds. He couldn't believe it. And he just goes, you're kidding. And I go, no. And so I can pretty much attribute to everything that I've done thus far. I, I just turned 21 years old a few months ago. And I don't think people realize that. I think, you know, I, I get the joke. Uh, by the way, I did go and get Kevin Kelly a Father's Day present and uh, he will be presented <laughs> with that present. Um, but no, I just turned 15 years old and I, at that point I had already been a public address announcer for some hockey leagues and some uh, in, you know minor league sports. I had done some work with them and uh, I was a pioneer in this thing called the Scholastic Play-by-Play Network here in the United States for young kids becoming broadcasters, so I was uh, featured on national public radio as a feature for them. So I'd already done some stuff, but it was only I attribute that to my appearance and the way I would be presenting myself as a much older person. And so I just had the facial features and the looks and the just the way I went about myself, I just appeared older to people. So there was never a question really of how old this kid really was. So, okay, well, I wasn't expecting you to be 15 years old, but you can still come join the ring crew and all that stuff. So that's how I got started. I started with uh, New England Championship Wrestling here in uh, New England, and I'd always wanted to be an announcer, but, I, you know, I was told we did things in NECW at the time. It was very old school, the people I was working under. Uh, my mentors, the Storm Brothers, Matt and Kyle, uh, New England Hall of Famers, and uh, senior referee Rich Bass was also a uh, big influence on me and uh there's a lot of names in the new england areas if, if anybody out there are fans of independent wrestling in the united states there's uh, a lot of people that are names of the new england area in the northeast that um really stand out as you know oh i've heard of that guy he worked in memphis or something like that they're old timers but they're so good and brutal bob evans as of late the last few years has been a great mentor of mine and uh, we, we do a lot of traveling together. And he really helped me out. He was one that really sparked the fire that motivated me to really get things going in terms of uh, working with Rick of Honor. But uh, that's later. Um, so, yeah, I just paid my dues for four years as the timekeeper. Uh, I did that for four years. I learned the business. Uh, really just got to be able to learn how to really tell a story in the ring, watching every single match for four years. You know, I got to learn how to, you know, how psychology works in the ring, how to tell a story and, uh, you know, and then traveling with all the boys and bringing out to Chris Norman. He's my best friend. He, he taught me a lot. And, uh, until around, you know, four years later, 2010, then he still get the TV deal. And I finally get my opportunity to become an announcer. And I did the backstage stuff until finally I got the call to do the play by play. And, uh, I did the play by play. That was the first show I ever did. And we had, been producing that show live straight to DVD release and so they produced it backstage they listened to the commentary as we were putting it on a format and everyone was listening to the commentary live and they said wow this this is way different than the other guy this guy had been doing it for a long time and his biggest criticism was that he was too old school he was too old time he was too corny it was too you know it, it was it, he was trying he was doing a bad Gordon Soli impression. So he was highly criticized. So here's Caleb Seltzer, 18 years old, has a new voice, he has a new delivery. It's, it's, it's like a breath of fresh air to these people. And so they said, you know, 
uh, we love this Caleb guy. Let's can we keep him on board and can we get this other guy out of there? But the other guy at the time was quote unquote a co-owner of the company and quote unquote the president of the company. And so he he really put his foot down and said no way. And he actually kind of blocked me from doing any other commentary until, you know, unless it was absolutely necessary, somebody got hurt and the commentator couldn't do it. So I had to fill in for the color guy. And so, you know, it's like, uh, you know, everything has come full circle in terms of the commentators that shouldn't be doing television. Um, But there he is, Kale's on color commentary doing play-by-play with this other schmo on this TV show that didn't last very long. And uh, so so that, that's how I got started. And then it just developed over time where I ended up meeting Kevin Kelly and the rest is history in terms of uh, getting into Ring of Honor. So uh, prior to your initial appearance in Ring of Honor, were you a fan of the company? Oh, I loved Ring of Honor. I've always been a big fan. I think I, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that are calling bullshit. There's no way he was a fan of Ring of Honor. But no, I, I was a fan. Um, I was always a fan. I, I watched Ring of Honor during the times where a lot of the guys were going to TNA. Uh, that's when I really started to pay attention because, you know, again, I was the younger kid back in the early 2000s and, and the mid-2000s when Ring of Honor was starting to get hot. You know, 2005, I was still a little bit younger, but I did keep a eye on the, the guys who were going in and out of Ring of Honor, AJ Styles, you know, Abyss, Samoa Joe, uh, Christopher Daniels. I was a big fan of him. And uh, I just thought a lot of the stuff that was going on in Ring of Honor was really cool. Um, I still have a bunch of DVDs from the Ring of Honor days. I still have them on my thing. I watch them. And, you know, and it doesn't mean, you know, just because I don't watch a lot of the product back in the day, I wasn't a huge fan. I wasn't into, I wasn't bred into the Ring of Honor culture. It doesn't mean that I'm not a fan that, that I'm working for them now. It doesn't mean that I'm not still becoming more and more of a fan of the company. I'm, I'm learning as I go. And it, it does reflect in my commentary that I am learning, but I'm not you know, saying these things on commentary and that may not be 100% accurate or, you know, people listening to my commentary goes, well, duh, of course we knew that. It's, I know it. I went, I watched the match, I did the research and I enjoyed it. And that's why I, you know, I put it over on commentary. I'm excited. I'm, I'm showing a lot of energy. I, I love this opportunity. I'm full, you know, I'm fully into the product. I think what Ring of Honor is doing right now is fantastic. And, uh, I'm very excited to be a part of almost like it's almost like a like a resurrection of Ring of Honor right now, and it's it's, it's a fun mm. time. So uh, Northwood's nightmare from our forum says, what led to your initial appearance in Ring of Honor at Bowling Point, and how did you think it went? Okay, this is what happened. I um, had had I had met Kevin Kelly about a year and a half prior at a brutal Bob Evans seminar in Massachusetts, and at that time, the women championship wrestling was folding uh, as its current product. And so I, I was right after the company folded. I went up. I met Kevin Kelly at the seminar, and I was only one of two announcers. I brought my friend, who was also an announcer, uh, with me to the seminar. The rest were all workers. And I remember going up there, and he, he would have us get promos in front of him. And I remember cutting a promo. I think I did an interview with somebody, and then I called a match that was going on as part of the seminar. And Kevin came up to me and said, uh, "Come see me after the seminar is over. I want to talk to you." And so I did, I went over to Kevin and he said, listen, you're really good. I want you to take down my information and I want you to contact me because I may have something for you in the future. Keep in touch with me. You know, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Just, just stay in touch with me. I want to help you out. 
And so, okay, cool. I got that. That's an awesome thing. I remember watching, you know, growing up, Kevin Kelly was on my television. So that was a thrill, you know, for 18-year-old Kale to get that kind of praise from Kevin Kelly. Fast forward to uh, I'm 20 now. Uh, it's around midsummer, uh, going into Boiling Point. And I had been fr- something frustrated me that was going on in the Indies. I was just fed up with what was, whatever was going on at the time. And so I, I gave Kevin a call and I said, hey, Kev, is there anything going on? Um, that you could help me out with, and is there anything going on that you could that you can get me involved in? This wasn't this wasn't last year. This was a couple of years when they signed the deal, and so he said, "Yeah, actually, this weekend Sinclair Broadcast Group is having a press conference the weekend of this pay per view announcing the TV deal. You can come and be a, you know come down to Baltimore and be my guest while we do this for the weekend." And so I flew myself to Baltimore. I met up with Kevin down at the uh, headquarters. We did the press conference and we did the pre-tapes on Saturday for for TV, and then we went and did the pay-per-view on Sunday in New York City. And that's when I initially met everybody, and then I, I met all I met Cornette, I met uh, Dan Bynum, and all uh, Joe Coff. I met for the first time, and Kevin Kelly introduced me to pretty much everybody. Uh, I was there for Ring of Honor that weekend, and to everybody that he introduced me to, he introduced me by saying, this is Caleb Seltzer, he's a young announcer from the Massachusetts area, and he's going to take my job one day. Huh. And that's high praise coming from somebody like that, saying this this is a guy, he's not blowing smoke up anybody's asses, never mind. He's saying that this is a guy that I pretty much selected to take under my wing, and I'm going to show him the ropes, and he's, I, this is my guy that I, I'm, I'm training for the future. And so I was blown away by that, and that's how I, you know, that's how I was introduced to Ring of Honor. And then I would, I would keep showing up. I was on the road with them for a few months. You know, I would go to all their New York shows. I'm still in the wing when I'm not signed. I'm not doing anything for the company at that time. So I'm going whenever I can. And then uh, it's getting to the point of uh, I'm boiling points. I'm frustrated. Kevin, is the right thing that I can do? And uh, he said, okay, here's what we can do. If, you know, and he, and he gave me a bunch of things, that, some tasks that I had to do in order to get on the pay-per-view. Uh, and he said, if you can get these things done, I'll put you on the pay-per-view, and I'll talk to Cornette, and we'll do it. And so he talked to Cornette. He put over the idea for me. He said he absolutely loved it. They put me on the pay-per-view, that fatal four-way. And uh, I, I did the match. I was nervous. It was a quick match. Um, but I thought it was good. I thought it was effective uh, to introduce me, and, and it was all part of Kevin's plan. It's a good way to introduce everybody to you, and then if we do bring you on, people will, will remember you. And then we'll build you up from there. And uh, so I, I did it. I remember doing the match. Everybody that I had talked to then was impressed with my performance. I was like, okay, cool. Kevin thought it was good. And then I was packing up. I was getting ready to go home. It was in Providence. It was 40 minutes away from my house. So I felt like I had, I felt like I had done well. So I made my rounds at the end of the night. And there's Hunter Johnson. He turns to me. And then he, I call him the Hunter Eyes. They get really big when he's excited. So... <laughs> He sees me. He does I never had a conversation with Hunter really ever. I probably just said hi. And then uh, he didn't say hello. I probably didn't see him that day. I saw him right when I was packing up, getting up, going home. He gets the Hunter eyes. He goes, dude, you were effing awesome. You know? <laughs> and so and Hunter goes, oh, no, man, you were so good. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even kidding with you, man. You were awesome. And so uh, I go, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. He goes, oh, no, man, definitely, definitely keep coming around because it may have something for you in the future. And so, you know, I'd always been taught in wrestling, you always take everything that a promoter tells you or a booker or anybody like that, take everything they say with a grain of salt and believe half of what they say, because often half of what they say is true. 
So I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, but I, Hunter liked me. I had really never talked to him before. I didn't really know this guy. He just said I was good. So, oh, buddy, you're the booker of Ring of Honor. So, okay, yay, I did a good job. Woo. And that doesn't mean I'm signed. I'm not celebrating anything yet because I don't have a contract and I'm not booked. You know, so yeah. I'm sitting at home. And I'm stooling. I'm doing nothing. And it's, it's October and so, or whatever the month was for the next TV. And I go, you know what? This is bull crap. I just, I just was told by everybody that was important to Ring of Honor that I had done a good job on this pay-per-view. Why am I not capitalizing on this? So I called Brother Bob Evans. Uh, we went down to the next TV, and I brought my, I brought my stuff. I looked at the card, and there was a lot of stuff going on. And I saw a dark match that was there, and I, and I noticed that TV that they had been taping the dark matches. And so and then I saw all the TV guys were, were using their equipment for test runs and all that stuff. And so I went up to Hunter right after the production meeting. That's when everybody starts to scramble and get ready for so open the doors and all that stuff. I went up to Hunter, and I said, Hunter, do you have a minute? And he said, no, but go ahead. And I said, can I call the dark match? And the Hunter eyes came back up again, and he goes, <laughs> Yeah, it's like he totally forgot about it, but then as soon as I, it's like a buzzword up with me and commentary, and it just kind of clicked back to Hunter, and he gets the Hunter eyes, and he goes, yes, I actually do want you to do that. Call, tell the production people that I want to see that happen, and that, that that should happen. Tell them to do it. And so I went up to the locker room. I got my gear, my suit, if you will, sorry. <laughs> and uh, I, I, and then Kevin looks at me, he goes, what are you doing? And I go, I'm calling the dark match. He goes, really? And I go, yeah. And he says, okay, well, go get him. And I, I went out there. It was a tag team match. It was, I made a Scott was in the match. Marty Bell was in the match. Uh, I forget everybody else was, but it was the guys, the guys who were working, um, squashes bring them on at the time. And, um, I called it, it was a seven minute match and I'll never forget when I put the headset on, it was completely dark. Nobody knew that I was out there until they turned the lights on. I put the headset on and I'll never forget the first voice I heard in my headset was, uh, the great Jim Cornette. And the, the, the nerves and the shivers that went down my spine when I sat, that was the only one in the commentary booth. It was just me. And there's Jim Cornette in my headset and he's directing my match. And that's one of the most influential, you know, legendary voices in the history of this sport is saying my name and is telling me to go and do the match. And, and you know, yeah, that do you mark out in your head? Absolutely. But you gotta, you gotta still gotta play cool. It's like, mm. act like you've been there before. And I remember calling the match. The match was okay. But, you know, Cornette talked to me twice in my headset. He said, uh, talk about how the referee's doing a good job. Uh, keep a track of the match, okay? Uh, put over what a great crowd it is here in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay, I did that. Bell to bell, match is over. I go backstage, and that was it. And I went home. I got a call from Kevin Kelly on that Monday. And he said, hey, I just talked to Jim. Jim said he did a great job in that match. And I said, okay, buddy, I'm glad that Jim liked it. And small talk, okay, yeah, the show was good, blah, 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 talk to you later. I get, a, I get a message the next day from Kevin, hey, call me at work. And so I called him and he said, hey, I just want to let you know, I talked to Jim again, and he said that you really did a good job again on commentary. And I said, that's great. And he said, we talked about things, and we're talking about bringing you on board uh, for the house shows, DVDs, all that stuff. So I'm in heaven. I'm like, wow, I impressed Jim Cornette enough to say, okay, he's got my seal of approval. Let's bring him on board for something. 
And so that's how that happened. And I was under the impression I was supposed to start the in January doing the house shows on DVD releases and all that stuff. I was supposed to be the B guy, quote unquote. November rolls around. Something happens. Uh, I was told to come to TV. I go to TV. I'm told that I'm filling in for commentary for Nigel. And so I go, okay. I, I'm just, and they told me, you're only filling in for TVs. So I go, okay, I'm only doing TV. That's fine. That's cool. At least I'm on TV. And Kevin said, this is great. So when we start doing this thing with you next year, you know, everybody knows who you are, and it'll be a positive thing for you, and, and it'll be all good. It's a good way to introduce you. So I said, okay, cool. We did those three weeks of TV. That was fine. I thought, you know, we had even put over that the new commentator was going to be at Final Battle and then I was going to DVDs. It was established. Something happened. I don't know. I have no idea who they were talking to. I have no idea who was supposed to be or what was supposed to happen. All I was told was that I was filling in for this person until somebody could, you know, until that person were to be available to do the commentary. Hmm. I get a call. I was in college. I was in a college class at the time. I get a call from Hunter Johnson, and, and the picture of Hunter Johnson comes up. So it's silly, you know. So it's the greatest lizard man popping up on my phone. And so I, I, I pick my phone up. I run outside of my class, and I go, hey. And he goes, it's Hunter's voice. I go, hey, Kayla, how you doing? I said, oh, hey, how you doing? And he goes, uh, listen, are you going to be at the paper in New York City? And I said, yeah, I'll be there. He goes, uh, are you going to be able to call this? Because uh, we need you. And so he said, yeah, so pretty much Hunter Johnson just pulled me out of class. He said, by the way, you're calling the pay-per-view in New York City. (laughs) So I'm like, what? How is this happening? This is amazing. And so, uh, okay, so I I just went from doing this little show in Providence that was on pay-per-view. Cool. I had my 10 minutes. I put over my home promotion. If anything came out of that, great. Okay, you're doing TV. Wow, I've never done TV before. That's really cool. That's great. I'll be there. What a great experience. You're calling a worldwide pay-per-view in Manhattan City, <laughs> New York City, the biggest pay-per-view in the company's history. By the way, you're calling Steam Generico a ladder match. So, you know, so, so, so think about that. You know, it's only been three years, and now, now you're calling. You know, it's probably the biggest show this company's ever done in the history of the, of the company, and you're calling it. And in front of all, you know, thousands of people in the Hempstein Bottom and then all the people watching you on paper, it was exhilarating. And so it was really, it felt like a dream come true walking down, you know, the ramp in New York City with all those people shouting. And even them chanting, we want Nigel, it felt like a thrill. It was like, because they were chanting that towards me. I don't care if it was heat. I loved it. Because, you know, you it's... It, you're not working in Armory in front of 100, 300 people, in, in, you know, in front of the people that you're working, you know, in an indie show. It's thousands of people. It's legitimate. You're you're there. You're in New York City, and thousands of people are acknowledging you. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. You're being acknowledged in professional wrestling. So I really felt it was a dream come true, and I felt like I had made it. And uh, mm. so that that's how that all came about. Uh, you, you briefly mentioned there that when you were brought on to do TV that you were told that you were replacing Nigel. Um, did you ever find out why Nigel was being taken off commentary? I mean, there were some rumours online that it was due to his British accent, which, as someone from England, that's a bit ridiculous. But I'm wondering if you actually knew what the real reason behind that was. Well, I'll tell you this. When, when I got the stuff, when I got the word that I was doing TV, I was told by Jim Cornette if any information about what had come out about the TV taping and any plan moving forward with the TV episodes, 
by penalty of death or by watching a ton of Vince Russo videos. That would be my punishment if anything were to happen, information getting out to a bad source. Uh, but it was a threat, and I took it seriously because he's Jim Cornette. We all know Jim Cornette. But I didn't receive any information. I don't know. But everybody thinks it's a conspiracy why Nigel was taken off a commentary. They decided to make a move where, you know, Ring of Honor needs to go in a different direction, and who is the best man for the job to lead Ring of Honor as a matchmaker? And it's Nigel McGinnis. There's a respect factor there. Mm. The fans respect Nigel. They acknowledge Nigel as, like, their guy for Ring of Honor. You know, when you think of WWE, you know, in terms of legends, the legendary icons in professional wrestling, you think of WWE, you think immediately of Hulk Hogan. In Ring of Honor, who do you think of? You think of Nigel McGuinness or CM Punk or Daniel Bryan. You think of the big names, and Nigel McGuinness is one of those guys. And he's the guy who's there, who is a Ring of Honor legend. He's pretty much the only guy left. So mm. who? he's a legendary figure in Ring of Honor. The fans will always cheer Nigel, doesn't matter what he does. And that's why he's there and doing his thing. I can't tell you why they took him off commentary. He was good at the commentary. I'm, I enjoyed him. I was entertained. But am I going to complain? Am I going to say to them saying, Nigel, we're going to do something different, and Caleb Seltz is going to get an opportunity to be, no, I'm going to be like, okay, that's great, let's do it. You know, and Nigel, Nigel never had a problem with it. I never sensed anything wrong with it. I'm always friendly with Nigel when I see him. Mm. He's a real good guy, and we're very, very cordial to each other. We joke around when we see each other every once in a while, so it's all well and good. I don't think it was anything malicious, you know, with Ring of Honor saying, Nigel, you're terrible on TV. Your accent is horrible. You're not a good commentator. <laughs> we're, we're taking it off and replacing you with a kid who's a play-by-play guy. He's going to be the color commentator. Obviously, they wouldn't have done that if there wasn't a plan. And I think that it, everything is all well and good. I think Nigel loves what he's doing now. And the shows, I think you would agree, the TV has been much better mm. uh, since that move has been made. Uh, but no, no, there's no inside job of conspiracy why Nigel was taken off commentary. Uh, we've got another fan question from 187 Joeism who asks, was it difficult for you to adapt to the role of colour commentator? Absolutely. And we knew, especially, you know, it was only originally supposed to be for three weeks. So, okay, just follow Kevin Reed for three weeks. And I'm only there to be like Mike Tanay. I'm just filling in little wrestling facts, and that's it. So I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to become a full-time color commentator. Okay, three weeks, you're done. Great. Cool. Now you're doing a pay-per-view. We need you at the next TV. We need you at the next TV. We need you at the next pay-per-view. We need you at this TV. So it's been five months already as a color commentator. So, yeah, it's hard to adjust, and it's hard. It, it's hard. I had that same problem up here in New England when I did TV that first time. You're trying to be the captain of the ship when you're the play-by-play guy. You're supposed to keep the ship steady, afloat, and just keep moving forward. And and if you're trying to set a mantra for yourself. You're trying to set, you know, a, a, a real good wave for yourself. You know, it's like a flow, a workflow. And then when someone's there that you click with, that's when you got a good team. But you need a protagonist and an antagonist sometimes for a good commentary team, or you just need somebody who's colorful that you can work off of. And that's not really who I am. I'm a play-by-play guy uh, mm. primarily. Um, I've been doing that for years. I'm considered really good, and I consider myself really good. Um, I've been told that 
by every, by people who are important. So I'm not going to say I'm not good, uh, but I'm not a color commentator. I will say that I'm not a wrestler. I've taken bumps. I had a very short-lived career as a wrestler, <laughs> being five six. Being five six is very unathletic. So I, I I I learned my place very quickly, and I discovered that I was meant to be a broadcaster. I was meant to be, you know, a part of wrestling in some way, shape, or form. And I found. You know, being a commentator to be the best avenue for me in the, in my career, and uh, I did that. But being a color commentator is such a different animal. You really need to know how to work when you're a color commentator. That's why you know the Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura, all those guys. That's why they are the greatest color commentators of all time, is because they're great workers. And I, I've never had a match in my life, um, so I can't relate to that that sort of thing. But I was just working off of Kevin. That's all I was pretty much told to do was just follow his lead, you know, fill in some facts, have some stuff prepared to say, some sound bites, all that stuff. But I, I was very nervous at first, and then I started getting a little bit more comfortable. And it was up until just recently where I really started to get the hang of it. I was feeling the flow, and that, you know, Kevin and I, I, I really thought we started to click these last couple of uh, times we've been out there. And, uh, yeah, I think we're an okay team. I don't think we're a great team. I think we're an okay team. Kevin is, of course, way better than me. And it's hard to keep up with someone like Kevin Kelly who's been doing this for years. And, again, it, it, it's intimidating in a way. You know, you're there, you're on TV, you're live on pay-per-view, and not to mention you're doing commentary with somebody you watched growing up as a child. And that's a thrill in itself. That's like, you know, fighting crime yeah. with Superman when you when you grow up reading Superman in the comic books. Um, I, I know that's a lot of praise for Kevin Kelly. It's high praise, but I think very highly of him. Um, so, yeah, it, it is intimidating being a color commentator. Does somebody else belong in that spot? Absolutely. I'm not going to defend myself in the way saying I deserve to be here. I'm the one that's rightfully the color commentator. That's not true. I'm there as a fill-in, and I acknowledge that, and I know that. But I feel like I've been doing a great job. You know, waiting for them to decide who the next guy is going to be. You know, I'm going to enjoy my time until they say, okay, Caleb, you're done. Then that's fine. That's cool. The day they say we're done, we got somebody else, great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, and I can only assume that I'm going to be sticking around uh, for other things. You know, we did mention that we're going to be doing DVDs and stuff like that. And so uh, I'm still here. I'm still kicking. I don't know when. I don't know how I'm going to be replaced or taken off. But uh, I'm very gracious of the opportunities that Ring of Honor has given me. You know, uh, you know, it was, I started out as an 18-year-old kid working in front of, you know, 70 to 100 people on a monthly basis in Massachusetts, and now I'm, you know, in front of the thousands of people in the Hammerstein Bomb in New York City. That's, and that's been only, it's been only three years, so I, I can say I've done pretty well, mm. and uh, I'm very appreciative and happy with how things have turned out. Mm. So as now, I just have to uh, ask about some of the, you know, negative reaction from some of the RH uh, fans to. Uh, your your own commentary. I mean, how much do you sort of uh, you know look into that, and does it you know do you let it affect you, or do you just have to sort of ignore some of the negative comments? Um, I'm, I'm used to criticism like that. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I, from from the very first day I started calling matches, I've been criticized. Like I sound like Joey Styles. Uh, this that the other thing is the poor man's Michael Cole, if Jr. And Michael uh, if Michael Cole and Joey Styles had a love child than me. You know, I, I hear that all the time, and it never really bothered me because the people who mattered most to me in my life who gave me the opportunity kept telling me I was doing good and don't listen to them. We're behind you. We love you. You're our guy. And that was always the thing that drove me is that these people had enough confidence in me that I was doing a good job and that they loved what I did. And it didn't matter what anybody else said. I was doing a great job. 
So that always propelled me. And so going into Ring of Honor, I knew that the fans were going to be tough on me. I knew it. I expected it. Ring of Honor fans are a different breed of animal. You know, it's not like going to an independent show and then, you know, there's, there's mom and pop, but, you know, little Jimmy and Joey bringing the like, kids to the wrestling matches a good old time. You know, Ring of Honor is the ECW of the new millennium. It's very off the grid. It's hardcore. It's in your face. And it's, it's their own breed of wrestling fan. So, okay, here's this nerdy-looking 21-year-old kid coming out here replacing one of the greatest stars of Ring of Honor to ever step into a ring. Yeah, we're going to chant, you suck. We want Nigel F. this kid who the hell's him. So I expected that. I embraced it. I felt like, hey, they could completely no-sell me and they could just not react at all. That'd be worse. Mm. So I, I, I knew going in that I wasn't going to be received very well. But I always listened to what Kevin told me. Kevin always gave me great advice. Guys like Eddie Edwards gave me great advice. Everybody gave me great advice. Don't listen to the people that, that, that put you down. Because guess what? They didn't like us when we walked into the company the first day. And then it took a long time. But now eventually everybody can chant our name. And they love us. So, you know, it's, I'm new. Um, as a color commentator, I'm not supposed to be a major role in the show. So I think that... Um, People's opinions may change over time when I start to do things more on the regular. You know, because I'm following somebody else's lead. It's Kevin Kelly's show, and he's the play-by-play guy. He's the captain of the ship. He directs everything that's said and done on commentary. So, you know, and I love Kevin. I'm glad that he, he what works for him works for him. I think we've done a great job. But when I'm the captain of the ship on commentary, when I'm telling the story and I'm you know, doing things structured my way, how I usually do things, maybe the fans will see me differently and think differently of me. You know, who knows? But I, I just hope, you know, if there's a few people that don't like me, I'm sorry. I, I hope you eventually come to like me or, you know, I understand. Not everybody in the world can like you. Trust me. I know. But... Uh, if, if I do entertain a couple of people, even if there's one person out there that says, hey, I like that Caleb Salsa guy, I think he's pretty entertaining, then that's cool. I'm entertaining somebody. I'm making somebody laugh. I'm making somebody smile and say, hey, I enjoy watching. I enjoy listening. So that, that, that's satisfaction to me. You know, mm. I'm not out there trying. I'm not, I'm not out there with a mark trying to pretend to be a broadcaster. I'm, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm a genuine wrestling fan. And I, I had this epiphany the other day, and nobody, I, don't, I know a lot of people aren't going to like this, but hopefully they'll appreciate the honesty. I really hope they appreciate the honesty because it's honest coming from me. I don't think of myself as a purebred Ring of Honor announcer. I'm not that guy. I'm not somebody that watches a lot of Japanese wrestling. I'm not somebody that watches a lot of uh, IWA Mid-South. I don't watch a lot of that stuff. I have been born and raised to be cookie-cutter WWE, WCW, ECW, you know, I'm just bred to be that way, that kind of wrestling. I'm used to that, you know, style of American wrestling. That's mm. why I'm compared to guys like Cole and Styles because I'm, I'm, and that's why I click so well with Kevin. People say that, oh, he's just another Kevin Kelly. He sounds just like him. Yeah, because we're WWE guys. You know, and that was Kevin Kelly's stigma was that he's a WWE guy, but he appreciates Ring of Honor. He loves Ring of Honor, and he is his. It's come to a point where Ring of Honor is a part of Kevin Kelly, and so I, and he, I'm sure he's still learning the history of the company, and he still is a student of the Ring of Honor history, and just as much as I am, I watch a ton of Ring of Honor stuff, learning. You know, the old feuds and, oh, look, B.J. Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs have had plenty of matches before in the past. And, you know, watching old film and 
you know, going onto the internet and reading all the results, and I, I do my homework every night. But admittedly, I'm a guy that belongs on WWE television as an announcer. But guess what? Not everybody can be a WWE announcer. So you got to start somewhere. And luckily, I've ended up in Ring of Honor. But I'm not going to be like, oh, great, I'm, I'm in the, one of the top wrestling companies in the country and in the whole world. That's cool. I'm just going to do whatever here. No, I appreciate it. So in order to get over as uh, an announcer on this show, I've got to know my crap about the company. It's not like I can you know, call a suplex, a drop kick, and then the finish. I got to know these moves that these guys do. Matches usually go 20 minutes longer, you know, and I got to get accustomed to that style of wrestling. So mm. I do. I do my homework. And, you know, hopefully it, it does, you know, reflect on my commentary. Hopefully people can hear that, you know, in my commentary that I'm learning and that I'm growing accustomed to the way Ring of Honor wrestling, you know, in the ring works and, uh, the flow of matches, etc. I'm learning every day. Mm. And, um, you know, and I'm appreciative of Ring of Honor and everything that's done for wrestling. Uh, so, you know, in order to get to, you know, other places like WWE where everybody else wants to be, you know, coming in the indies, but, you know, and everybody just as much wants to be a part of Ring of Honor. And right now, I don't, I don't think I want to be a WWE guy right now. I think I want to be a Ring of Honor guy right now. Because I think what we're doing right now is very much like what ECW was doing back in the early, you know, in the early nineties. Yeah. It's really getting, it's getting hot again. And we're doing something where it's like a revival where all the fans who months ago were saying, Oh, ring of honor is dead. What they're doing is horrible. This is crap. Now look, everybody's coming back because guess what? It's going back to the way it, there's something going on right now. It's like a renaissance for ring of honor where things are getting hot. The action's getting better. Now, border wars, we're doing stuff with pro, uh, pro wrestling Noah and that, that blew up the internet in just a matter of moments. And, you know, and we're doing this New York, New York city, the paper was sold out. Can you believe that? And just, in just with only two or three weeks, you know, before the paper, you can't get a ticket and we're still announcing masses and people are going, Oh man, why didn't I get a ticket for this? So you can tell something good's going on at Ring of Honor. And, I'm really excited to be a part of things. I think this is where it's at in wrestling. You know, I think that this is where all the attention and the excitement is happening. And uh, I, I would much rather be here than anybody else and than anywhere else right now because I feel like I'm a part of something. That's mm. really, that it's, it's a work in progress, and it's really, we're doing something revolutionary that's, that's getting a lot of attention. So I would rather be a part of something that's establishing rather than being a part of something that's established. Yeah, you know, I like, yeah. I, I like to, yeah, I like to play for a winning ball team, and I think Ring of Honor is becoming a winning ball team right now. Mm. And do you think people's opinions of you will change now that they've, you know, heard more about your your history in wrestling and you know how old you are? Because you know, when you said you were only twenty one, that took me back a bit as well. I mean, I thought you were much older than that. So you know, now people know a bit more about you. Do you think people's opinions will, will start to change? I hope so. You know, I don't make excuses. I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm a young guy. I'm still, I'm, I'm, grow I'm literally growing up in wrestling. <laughs> you know, I've been doing yeah. this since, hey, since the week I turned 15 years old. So I've been growing around, growing up with a bunch of professional wrestlers and traveling and doing all this stuff. So yeah, when you say I'm growing up in the business, you kind of can say I have. You know, when you mature around that age of 15, where you really start to develop and become a man. You know, you ask me to Bob Evans, I'm not a man at all. I'm a little whippy, <laughs> whatever. Idiot, but uh, but but besides that, 
I, I have kind of matured and grown up, and I've learned, you know, how to not, you know, live just as an adult, but as to live in this business. And uh, so I, I like to say, and I, I really do know when I've made it, when guys come up to me who have been around longer than I have, but, but because I've made it to this point, they come up to me and they ask me for advice. And that always blows me away when somebody who's been around longer than I have or somebody who is just getting in or starting, they come up to me and they ask me for advice because I made it to Ring of Honor. It just blows, it just blows me away that anybody would ask me for advice. But uh, I take it as an honor, and I, and I think that... Um, you know, will people respond to me in a more positive way now knowing my story? Eh, maybe. I don't know. I don't care. Um, I think that if they'll come to appreciate me uh, over time when they really start to see, hey, you know, they'll get used to me. Hopefully they'll get used to me. Like, you want to know something? He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't done anything. He's always been in Ring of Honor. You know, he's been true to it. You can tell he's got a genuine appreciation for the brand and for the sport. I think I'll get behind this guy because he's a Ring of Honor guy. You know, I think yeah. that with loyalty comes a certain respect. And I think that right now I, I, I stopped commentating everywhere else. I'm only a commentator in Ring of Honor. I have yet to call another match since my last, the last time I worked for Ring of Honor. And uh, I, I did a speech at my whole promotion last month. I'm, I'm done. Thank you for everything. I'm going to Ring of Honor now full time. So, I, I, so I'm fully intending to be true to Ring of Honor, I'm not going to go anywhere else, uh, you know, as long as I'm given opportunity to keep doing what I'm doing. And from what I've been told, I'm still going to be around. So, um, you know, hopefully those people who have a negative uh, opinion of me, they don't think I'm good or they just don't think I fit or there's just something off about me as a commentator. Hopefully those opinions will change over time when I start to call more matches on my own, when I'm working with a different common, uh, a different color man. Uh, you know, when, when I really start to call matches my way, mm. you know, when it's a Caleb Seltzer match when I call it. It's much different. It's very, it's more laid back. It's more like as a fan, this is how I'm calling a match. I love just calling matches as a fan. I know the moves. I can, you know, be myself on commentary. I can make witty comments. I, I thought this, I think when I'm out there, if anyone's seen the latest episode of TV, when Truth Martini comes out with Matt Taven and they do hoopla and cut, yeah. when I react to Matt Taven and Truth Martini doing shenanigans in the ring, and people, you know, oh, Caleb Salt is trying to be Jerry Lawler, that's not true. That's a genuine reaction. I think Truth Martini is awesome. You know, <laughs> it's just, I'm, I'm 21 years old. You know, Kevin Kelly gave me this, this advice not too long ago. He said, how old are you again? I said, I'm 21. And he said, okay, so be 21. He's a young guy. Kevin Kelly is like, he's, he's, he's a grown man. He's got children. He's got a wife. He's supposed to react that way to Truth Martini and his take your pants off and the women getting undressed in the ring and, you know, Truth, uh, Matt Taven whipping out the belt out of his hands. It's, it's immature. He's not supposed to react in a way where that's great. I'm 21. I think that's the greatest thing in the world, two women taking their pants off. So I'm reacting genuinely when I'm like, yes, take your pants off. This is awesome. You know, I, that was in the moment. I think this is great. You know, look at them taking their pants off. That's phenomenal. So, and I turned to Kevin, you know, when Truth Martini says, Kevin Kelly, take your pants off. You know, I turned to Kevin, I go, why the hell not, Kevin? Let's do it. <laughs> 
come on. You know, it, it's I'm having fun. You know, I remember there was a comment that was I, I read. I think it was a PW Insider or something like that. When somebody commented on me, you know, in a review, they said Caleb Seltzer is so uncomfortable in front of a camera. He's he's just he's trying to be somebody he's not. And you know, one part of that's true. Was I a little uncomfortable in the beginning? Absolutely. Who wouldn't be? But you know, and, and again, I'm not. Over time, I did become more comfortable, and I very I am very comfortable. Uh, in front of the camera, and uh, you know, it's, I'm still learning. I'm growing up, guys. Give me a break. But um, I don't anticipate people. You know, I, 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 while I hope people do, you know, start to get behind me and support me as a commentator, I don't expect everybody to, and that's cool. But you, I, hopefully, everyone is assured. I can let everyone know this is a message to everybody in the Ring of Honor universe. With the eight that I say universe because the other guys do it, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but this is a message to all of you. I am behind Ring of Honor. I love Ring of Honor. I think what Ring of Honor is doing right now is phenomenal. Uh, I hope that everybody out there will give me the chance, the opportunity to, for me to prove to everybody out there that loves this product. You know, can I say that I 100% am in love with Ring of Honor? No. Can you give me a chance to develop a love that is just so strong that I can never leave Ring of Honor? Please give me that opportunity to do so, because over time I'm, I'm I've only been around the company for a few months now, but I am loving the people I am working with on on that regular basis. I think that this is a new family I'm I'm, I'm walking into. I, uh, I'm traveling. I've only uh, Chicago for the pay per view. That was only the the second and third time in my life I've ever gone on a plane. So mm-hmm. you know it, it's crazy the life experiences that's going on right now, you know, with Ring of Honor. I'm, I'm seeing the country, you know, I'm on TV, I'm on pay-per-view. I'm loving it. I'm enjoying the ride. And I think that's being, I hope that's being reflected on my commentary, that I'm enjoying it, I'm having a good time, and that I love wrestling. I love doing what I'm doing. And hopefully people can hear that and feel it at home. And uh, we'll eventually be on my side. I would hope so. Yeah. You know. And we have um, another fan question, which is actually about the hoopla and cut that you just uh, spoke about, which I actually thought was brilliant as well. Um, Marcus asks, why can you get away with saying Poonani Predator and let's have a circle jerk, but not showing women wearing more clothes than the wrestlers? Again, that's a question that I can't answer. <laughs> I don't know. I do what I, I I do what I'm told, you know. I go out there, uh, if, unless anyone tells me otherwise, I'm going to be myself. And so I see that, you know, okay, yay, they're taking their pants off. This is awesome. Woohoo! And then, okay, here comes Gio Colucci, Paul Turner, everybody running in with towels and covering them up. It was a genuine reaction of mine. Oh, come on. What is this all about? This is the worst thing my father's ever done. <laughs> and so it's genuine. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what they, you know, you guys can call me, you know, call my shit and say it's a work, but I don't know. I don't know what anybody does back there. I'm just there to do my job. And the same thing is said in WWE, too. You, you're not there to goof off. You're there to do what you're told at the job. So uh, I go to Ring of Honor. I have a good time. And, um, you know, I go there and I do my job. And they don't tell me otherwise what uh, is is going on on the show. Just go and do the show. So that's what I do. I know it's highly criticized. Uh, it's not very popular. But guess what? It, it got you pissed, right? So it got you talking about it. So... I guess it was a good move. Uh, there's been some reports from a PW Insider that says you're going to be replaced on commentary. Uh, do you know if there's any truth to this rumor or where it came from? You know as much as I do, guys. 
Uh, like I said earlier, if, if they are going to replace me, then that's fine. Uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, I look forward to continue working with you in the future or immediately, or I'm going to go on and do this, or I'm going to get out of wrestling completely. It's, it, I'm appreciative. If it all ends tomorrow, I had a good run, right? And I can't, I can't complain. There's so many hundreds of thousands of people in the wrestling business today that would just die or give up their lives to be in the position I'm in. And I can't take that for granted. So, you know, five months of TV and two, three pay-per-views coming up, you know, that's a good run for someone who's 21 years old, still young in the business. So I can't complain. So if they are going to replace me, that's fine. No heat. Uh, it's, for the, it's for business. It's what's best for business. And I will never say nay to what's good for business. So uh, you guys know as much as I do on that front. You know, and if it does happen, it's not going to come as any surprise because I was told from day one, you're a replacement, and we're going to ride this out for as long as we can. And I, so there's no surprises, there's no shock, there's no heat, and I'm not pissed. So, uh, you know, I just, that, that's, and my buddy, Mad Dog Matt Storm, he's my best friend here on the Independent. He actually sent me a text message in the morning when the news broke. He woke me up and he said, hey, congratulations, your name's big enough to be on a dirt sheet. So uh, I looked, and there's my name on PW Insider. So I go, okay, I, I must have made it somewhere and have done something in my time. So, um, you know, this is the end of my wrestling career. Where, okay, I'm done. I'm never going to get to a mainstream wrestling park again. I can at least, I have these DVDs. I have these TVs. I have all of these mementos from Ring of Honor. And this is my run on TV, and I can show my kids one day and my grandkids that this is what I've done, and uh, this is my life's work, and I'm proud of it. And, uh, this is the greatest accomplishment and the greatest experience of my entire life. So, um, you know, tomorrow to tomorrow, no regrets. I'm quite happy with what I've done and uh, what I hope to continue to do. Uh, you said that, you know, you're told you made it when you uh, made it onto a dirt sheet. Well, we felt like we made it when you mentioned Team Ambition on Ring of Honor Television a few months ago, which is a team name that originated on our uh, forums at rohworld.com slash form. And I have to ask you... I I had no idea it came from you guys. I remember reading a tweet that said Team Ambition when it was hashtag Ring of Honor. So I saw it and I go, wait, I, I immediately got the joke. I thought it was good. I was doing notes at the time, so I wrote it down. And then I said, I remember saying, saying Team Ambition on TV. I know it got some laughs. And I remember getting tweeted by somebody. Or, no, I remember getting forwarded a link to a review of the TV show, and they said, Caleb Sells is a team man fish, and holy shit, I'm laughing my ass off. And I was like, oh, okay, that's probably the first positive thing I've ever read on the Internet about me. So <laughs> uh, that was cool. I'm glad that somebody got a kick out of, you know, the stuff I said and, you know, the things I do. I, I, and, you know, hopefully when I start to take over some stuff on play-by-play and I can start being more of myself and call matches the way I usually call them, hopefully people will start to relate to me and they'll, uh, you know, they'll, they'll get what I'm trying to do. I, I think that's the biggest problem is that people don't get me. I, I'm a different kind of person. I'm a different kind of commentator. I'm, I'm a kid. <laughs> I'm a kid. And, and, and it's just, it all depends on if people will get behind a 21-year-old kid as a serious voice of a wrestling company. And, uh, and I think people will. Uh, I, have, I have genuine uh, uh, confidence that I think people will, over time, get behind me and, and acknowledge me as you know, a guy that they consider one of their own. And 
you know, so yeah, I, I remember seeing the Tandem fishing thing. I know that I'm getting a lot more Twitter followers as of late. People are starting to really pay attention to me, and I appreciate that. And I hope to continue gaining more Twitter followers as I start doing more stuff on Ring of Honor, and I have other side projects that I work on. So hopefully that'll start getting some more attention as well. And uh, you know, it's all about building your brand. It doesn't matter if it, it doesn't matter if people are talking crap about you or people putting you over. At least they're talking about you and your name's out there. I remember typing my name into Google not too like a couple of months ago. Uh, it was before I started Ring of Honor. I had probably like two pages worth of Caleb Seltzer on Google. And then when you Google Caleb Seltzer, there's like a million pages with Caleb Seltzer in them, and it's all me. And so that's like that's cool. I'm a Googleable I'm a Googleable person. So uh, that, that's right on, man. I think that's awesome. And uh, just to wrap things up here, uh, Northwood's Nightmare from the forum asks, uh, what's your favorite match you have commentated on uh, during your career? Um, I got to say, I've had the opportunity to call some good matches. Um, I think that I take a lot of pride in calling one of the matches from my home promotion at BWF Northeast. I mentioned his name earlier. Uh, Latin Braveheart Ryan Visible was our champion late last year. Really, really good. And he had a series of matches with the king of old school, Steve Carino, uh, in Massachusetts, in Rhode Island, actually, uh, technically. And uh, he had a hardcore match, and he had a singles match with Brian Bisbal to unify Steve Carino's PWF Universal Heavyweight Championship he owned. He founded the PWF company uh, back in 2002. Uh, and then, you know, if you fast forward 2012, it's Steve Carino is and PWF Northeast promotion are trying to unify the lineages. And so he had a series of matches with, Korea, uh, with uh, Ryan Bisbal, who was our champ at the time. Uh, those two had some two great matches, and the one in specific I'm very proud of is when we did unify the belts in a hardcore match, uh, which uh, Bisbal won. So that, that one I'm very proud of. And uh, I think my greatest career accomplishment uh, is when I called Steen Generico at uh, Final Battle, Ladder War. I think that's the best match ever called. Uh, you know, just and people criticize the commentary of that match. You know, oh, why they're they're laying out. They're not they're not very serious about it. Why Nigel would have been so much better in this role because he would have sold it. This that the other thing. I, I just don't think what people understand is the psychology of that match, where there's two guys beating the living hell out of each other, beating them with ladders. I think Steen almost at one point tried to take Carino's head, uh, not Carino, uh, Generico's head off. Uh, and he and he f sank him through a table. He pile drived him through a ladder. There's there's malicious, you know, homicidal attempts here, you know, on Generico's life by Steve Carino. Holy crap! What a drop kick by Kevin Steen through a ladder! You know, you're overselling. You know, it's how do you if if take the wrestling part out of it. If you were watching in real life. On the street, two guys beating the crap out of each other with ladders. You wouldn't be cheering anybody on. You wouldn't be excited to see that. You'd be like, oh, my God, these guys are trying to kill each other. And you're on the edge of your seat, like, who's going to die? So Kevin and I were calling that match. It wasn't really a match. You can't even call that a match. It was a massacre. You know, you're doing, you're, you're doing commentary of a massacre. So we're like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, you know, when Steen hit that pile driver, it just went silent. Because how do you begin to describe what you just saw? You know, even Gordon Soley would lay out for that match. Jim Ross would lay out for that match. You lay out, and you call what you see, and it's not fast-paced. There was nothing fast-paced about that match. It was a massacre. So 
I, I fully stand behind, and I will always defend to this day Kevin and my commentary of that match. I think that match was, and and the reviews from the people who matter, the people backstage and etc. They all said that match was great, and that the commentary that we did was great. And so I will forever defend the commentary of that match. I thought that match and the call and the story that was told by Generico and Steen was just so great. And uh, and you know Generico got signed not too long afterwards, so. I will always feel like if this is the best thing, if this is as far as I go in the wrestling business, Ring of Honor, I will always take great pride in the best match I've ever called was El Generico's last match at Ring of Honor at Final Battle. That mm. is the uh, best match I've ever called. So uh, I think that's a good note to end on, really. Uh, thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. And, uh, you know, you mentioned about trying to get more Twitter followers. Why don't you uh, plug your Twitter account and so people can get in touch with you and uh, follow you on Twitter? Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter uh, 24-7. I, I do a lot of... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm On the side, I do a lot of comedy. I write a lot of jokes, and uh, uh, I'm trying to get a little bit of a radio thing going on here in the States. Um, so I do have a side career where I do fancy myself as a, as a comedian on the side. So a lot of my jokes and my material goes on Twitter, a lot of one-liners. I did a lot of stuff about the Pope the other night uh, when, when we elected a new Pope. I, I did a lot of stuff. And one of the jokes I had made was that the uh, uh, when... You know, the white smoke came out and everybody was on the edge of their seat waiting to see who the new pope was going to be. I tweeted it right before it came out. The entire world is about to poop. So, you know, I just I just tweeted out a lot of one-liners that are just like stuff going through my head that I think is funny. And uh, I, I even came up with a silly little game uh, on Twitter called Fart or Shart. It's just my sense of humor. It's just so... <laughs> Vulgar and vile. It's just, it's. I'm a 21 year old kid going back to what I was talking about. I'm being a kid, so you know, people talk about, oh, you're a wrestler, you're, you're you're in professional wrestling. You should have, you know, you should maintain a demeanor of professionalism, etc. You never know who's reading your tweets. Like, I got people that I hang out with, you know, from high school, and you know, and my best friends, you know, are in wrestling, and we all have the same sense of humor. So, uh, I work for CBS here in America, uh, Boston, and radio, and so I was I was sitting in the lavatory of a CBS bathroom in Boston and it was while I was on sh- on my shift I was sitting in the bathroom and I just was thinking that's when I do my thinking time and I just thought wouldn't it be a funny idea you know you know when, I'll, I'll leave it to you guys let's do the guys talking here let's, let's talk turkey here when you as guys when you eat something that really gives you gas right and you start to feel in your stomach that point where you're not sure if you fart you're going to describe your pants or it's just going to be fun, right? You never know. It's that doubt. It's that momentary doubt in your head. Like, do I do I take the chance of letting it out and have it be a fart or just completely shooting my pants? So I thought, what, what if people put money on that? Would you be willing to put money on what the end result was going to be? And so it was, I came up with it, Fart or Shark, and I developed it, and my buddies loved it, and I still, like, almost every night, I get a text or a tweet from somebody. And the, the, the whole point of the game is hopefully you guys will play it over in the U.K. I'm trying to get it picked up as a, as a TV <laughs> pilot here in America. Uh, hopefully you fellows here in the U.K., you know, if you eat something, and then if you feel like you're uh, you're uh, in a little bit of a pony over there in the U.K., um, you, 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 what you do is on Twitter, you say, okay, this is what I ate. Fart or shark, 
and you lock it in. People people retweet you. They send you back. Okay, it's totally going to be sharp. It's totally going to be a fart. And you lock in your answer. This is how much money I am comfortable putting on the line, saying that this is exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to release, and it's going to be either fart or sharp. If, you, if, if it's exactly what you say, you get the money. If you don't, well, you just got shit in your pants. Or you, you, you just... Well, we just fired it. it was nothing. So uh, it's it's become a hit. I'm trying to develop that on Twitter. So uh, follow me at Caleb Seltzer, uh, and then I think the at Fart or Shark is also a handle on Twitter. And so you're just gonna get a lot of you're just gonna get a lot of shenanigans. You're gonna get a lot of stupid stuff going on on Twitter. So that's that's what you can expect. Anyone trying to find me on Facebook? Uh, my Facebook is very very sad. Uh, I have two of them. One of them is my personal. One of them is my professional. Uh, I think it's Facebook.com slash Seltzer C is my professional one. Add that one. It's linked to my Twitter. It's linked to my other Facebook. So, you know, I just wrestling fans are a little bit wacky and crazy. So I try to keep, you know, I try to keep it to, you know, the professional page. So uh, like me on that and follow me on Twitter. Uh, a lot of shenanigans. So hopefully the more people who follow me on Twitter and the people who get to get a, you know, get to, uh, really look at what's going on with me and my life and who I am as a person. I think if they start to connect with me on that way, then I think I'll be more appreciated and they'll love me. So, and who could, who could not love the guy who gets paid to sit in the bathroom and think of what happens if I release my bowels? Am I going to fire? Am I going to shut? So how could you not love that guy? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thank you once again for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you very much. I love the United Kingdom and, uh, I love Europe. I love all of my fans or non-fans. And so I salute all of you over in the UK and across the world. I'm still here, and uh, I'm fully behind Ring of Honor. And uh, we're, we're definitely doing something cool. Make sure you order the pay-per-view in two weeks. Uh, it's uh, Super Card of Honor, two weeks from tomorrow. So uh, make the, the only way you can watch the pay-per-view is if you order it on uh, ROHwrestling.com. Cheers, Caleb. Take care. Cheers. Take care, everybody. Oh,